Welcome once again to another episode of Demand Gen Radio, the one program that brings you all the latest methods and technologies for driving growth and increasing demand. With the voice of Demand Gen, David Lewis. All right, welcome to another episode of Demand Gen Radio. Today on the program, I am joined by Guy Kawasaki. And as I mentioned to a lot of people at my company that Guy and I were going to record a podcast today, they were very excited about that. And I candidly, I was a little surprised that as many people knew Guy as as, as I knew Guy. And I, I don't know how you feel about that, Guy, but I was like, hmm, wow, a lot of people know Guy. But it wasn't my motivation for having you on the program was because... You are this this guy, pun intended, but people are really in for a treat. If you don't know Guy, and maybe all of you do, um, Guy had a very profound impact on my career, which we'll get to in a minute. But the world knows him as uh, one of the New York Times bestselling authors. He's written uh, about 14 books, everything from evangelizing, which I want to get into today, and social media and recipe books for, for startups. But his career uh, really launched uh, when he was the chief angel- evangelist for Apple and joined Apple in the very, very early days. So if you're old like me and you grew up in technology, you know Guy. Uh, but I guess a lot of other people know you too. So Guy, thank you for joining me. And I want to I talk a little bit about our backgrounds because uh, it's been a while. It's been about 25 years since we've seen each other. Well, first of all, I have a really good explanation for why so many people think they know me. It's because a lot of people confuse me with Robert Kiyosaki of Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And some people confuse me with Jackie Chan. So there's only one of me, but there's three people (laughs) that are confused for me. So I have three times the footprint. Yeah. Any any of those you would want to be if you weren't Guy Kawasaki? I'd, I'd probably pick Jackie Chan, but I don't, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that, that would be interesting. But I do my own tweets, so he does his own stunts. So same thing. Nice. Well, well, it's good to reconnect. Um, to, to bring everyone up to date, Guy is currently serving as the chief evangelist for Canva. And we're going to get into that a little bit later in the program. But as I mentioned, he, he's written a lot of books. And one of them, uh, The Macintosh Way, which I think was your first, yes. which I have a signed copy of from you. And it came when you and I were in a school auditorium. And it was a, it was a user group meeting. And you were giving a demo. And you were the guy that was presenting just before me. And then I came up on stage. And you were handing out books. And I grabbed one. And you didn't talk about what the book was really about, but you know there was such a strong cult following to Apple, still is, and 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 big fans of yours. I grabbed one and read it, and it and it changed my life. Um, it really did. It's, it's it's affected countless other people. So to bring everyone uh, back in time, in in 1984, I got my first Macintosh. Um, I graduated high school in 1983, so guy and I are about a decade apart in terms of careers. But I got my first Mac in in 1984. And I was just, you know, a real computer geek. Like I would walk home from school and I would go to computer stores and check out the IBM. I took an IBM programming class when I think I was 14 years old um, because of that that would be something that I should learn. And, and, and it was important. But um, that computer store that I would hang out at, Guy, uh, I started a small little group. And that user group grew to become one of the largest Macintosh user groups in Los Angeles. And I was 18 you know, years old and uh, a real Mac geek and really into it. And, and a guy by the name of Alan Horowitz 
was responsible in IT for computers at Hughes Aircraft. So he and I managed the user group together. So he's an adult with a real job, and I'm just a kid in school who's a real uh, computer geek. And that user group uh, led me to my career at Microsoft. And so you you remember this period. It's 1988. I think you hated IBM and, and, and Microsoft. And here I am working for Microsoft, and I'm like, this guy, guy who I've seen talk so many times at user groups and invited us to our user group, how's he going to feel about me working for Microsoft? And so I remember telling you, I'm like, I work for Microsoft, but I'm still that Mac guy. And I'm out <laughs> demoing the Windows interface, but I'm also demoing all the Mac products. And that's that's how I got my job. They had no one at Microsoft to um, to demo the Mac products in the in Southern California. And so I joined the U.S. Sales and Marketing Division to do that. Um, the reason the book changed my life. And and the reason I wanted to start here, guys, I've written a book, and that was one of the things that I took from you, um, is that what you shared in the book, there was a couple key takeaways that that had that impact. You know, you had a whole chapter on how to give a demo. And I'm watching you demo, and you're like the Magic Johnson of demos. Like, you know, you you are really just, people are so captivated and so then you write this book and you're like, well, here's what to do. And if if any of you are out there giving demos, uh, especially all the salespeople listening, um, read this book, even though it's 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 it goes back. But it, it was it's so Chris. In fact, I think you did a podcast on it on giving demos as well. The second reason um, you changed my career was about building community, uh, which we'll get to and, and being an evangelist and uh what you don't know, guys, that uh, to catch you up in 2003, I really got enamored, not with the Macintosh, because fast forward, with a platform called Eloqua, which is a marketing automation system. And that marketing automation system showed me the impact that marketing could have on businesses and now in this digital era. And so I took out my playbook, uh, which was a bit of your playbook, and I formed a user group of marketing leaders in the Bay Area who were also using Eloqua as their marketing automation system. And I would share that group and did exactly what I did back in the 80s, is demo how to do digital marketing, how to use these systems, how to use a CRM. And then that user group led me to this realization of my superpower, which was you have this great ability to demo technology and inspire people with it. So why don't you start an agency to go help people with it. And that's what I did in 2007. And lo and behold, the podcast started about three years ago. And here we are. So I wanted to make sure you knew that guy because I've written my book and I always wonder as an author, like, do we sometimes realize the profound impact that these books have had? So officially, I want to thank you for all the inspiration and a great career from from uh, your inspiration. Appreciate wow. it. I, I had no idea. <laughs> I, that's why I reached out to you. I'm like, hey. And, and the way the way that we connected, which will which will pivot to, is I love this platform. I don't know if it's called that, but I love this product, this platform called Canva. And I was using it a week or two ago, and I did a search for like Canva video templates. By the way, Guy and I were geeking out about our video setups just before the podcast, and that's when I realized that you are the evangelist. Or Canva, and I'm like, you know what? Great excuse to reach back out to guy. So that that's my origin story with you, my friend. How are you? 
<laughs> I'm doing just great. Thank you. Yeah, that's quite a story. I mean, <laughs> Can we start off with a really tough question for you? I don't know. Maybe it's a tough Far question. away. You had a very um, interesting relationship with Steve Jobs and, and you admire him and certainly the company that was built. Um, Steve's now passed for several years now and the world's changed pretty dramatically. If you could talk to Steve to this day, yeah. what would you talk with him about? What would you say to him? I, I spent eight minutes talking about the impact you had <laughs> on my career. Uh, what would you talk I, I to would, Steve about? Well, so listen, I, I left Apple in, in uh, 1987 and then I returned in 1995 and left again in 1997. And then a few years after that, I saw Steve at a conference and he offered me a position back at Apple. So if I could have a conversation with Steve again, I would say, Steve, listen, um, give me one more chance. <laughs> give me another job. Uh, because if I had not quit either of those two times or not turned him down for the third time, you know, that probably cost me a few hundred million dollars. <laughs> did. No doubt it did. You know, yeah. A couple hundred here and there adds up after a while. So, um, but Steve Jobs, I would not be where I am were it not for Steve Jobs. Let's just give credit where credit's due. And uh, I consider it an honor, though not necessarily a pleasure, <laughs> to yeah. have worked for him. Uh, and I don't know anybody who has worked for him who regrets it. And he was just one of those forces of nature that come along i don't know every 20 years or so there's one of him and the closest person to him now is probably elon musk yeah but you know there's elon and there's steve maybe there was walt disney but you know that's a short list (laughs) it's not every joker who's starting you know tinder for old people or you know (laughs) a cyber cash system or you know whatever um who interned at Goldman Sachs for a summer and now believes they're Steve Jobs. So uh, he's he's rare. He is he is rare. Um, so so the the real you know yeah guy had an impact on my career. But what you guys don't probably really know, most of you, is back when the Apple was introduced, guys' primary responsibility uh, at a certain time was to get people to develop software for it. If you can imagine that, to actually encourage people to make applications for it and, and built the worldwide uh, developer community. And, and I, do you feel appreciated? Did you ever feel appreciated from the work that you do there? Because a car without fuel is just a car. Well, I mean, it depends how you define appreciated, right? So um, like a lot of old timers realize my impact, uh, but you know, just to put things into perspective, it, on a scale of you know, let's say one to a hundred, where Steve is a hundred in terms of impacting Apple and Macintosh, uh, I would put myself at maybe fifteen or twenty. So let's That's way you know, too humble. Let's call yeah. a spade a spade here. And I, 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 you know, I am no Steve Jobs, just like Dan Quayle was no John F. Kennedy. So, uh, but, but. You know, what a great ride it was. Yeah. And um, I I never really made any kind of big money from Apple because I left too early twice, mm-hmm. um, such as life. And, you know, but, well, first of all, it's it's kind of irrelevant because I can't go back in history and change it. So you just have to go forward. But right. 
I I am. You know, thank God. Rearview mirror is always really clear. Yeah, yeah, like crystal clear. Well, thank God Apple has done so well because um, I am living proof that if you do one thing right in your career, you can coast for twenty five or thirty years. I don't think you've coasted, but you've you've made an impact. Look, we can all look back. I I mentioned Fairlawn. I I grew up at Fairlawn. I was there nine and a half yeah. years. When I left in 1999, we I took the company public uh, in 1996, and in 1999 I left. The stock was trading, I think, at around 15 bucks. I held on to it. When it got to 25, I started selling and selling and selling because you know your shares are pennies, and at 25, you know, like wow, that's phenomenal. And I think it went to 90 within a year, guys. Yeah. So like, you know, I wish I, I always wish, shoulda, coulda, woulda. But, you know, if I hadn't left, I wouldn't have started uh, Resounding, which was the, the inventor of, of VoIP for video gaming, voice over the internet. And I that was one of the highlights of my career was that yep. before I sold the company a year later, um, just changing the lives of video gamers and giving them the chance to do what you and I are doing, talk to each other uh, over the internet. So you know, it's, uh, yeah, it's easy to look back. If you were just totally driven by the dollar, it would be that. Let's talk about the time you did in database. Cause I mean, Salesforce is one of the biggest software companies in the world. Yep. Do you think you guys would have figured out that the database product that you worked on should have gone to the web? I mean, FileMaker, I think missed a ginormous window of opportunity. Well, FileMaker still exists, right? I know, but Believe it or not. it's not Salesforce.com. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, but I, I don't think Salesforce was quote unquote a database. I think that the, l- listen, if you had said to me when Salesforce was starting that, you know, there should be a company, much less an industry dedicated just to CRM, I would have told you you're crazy that, you know, CRM is just one application of databases or at least contact management. And, and so I, I don't know what I would have told Mark Benioff. Although, can I tell you a very funny Mark Benioff story? I gave sure. him his first job. I gave I him his first job. He was a freshman at USC, and I gave him a summer job. So uh, he never has called. He ever, has he ever thanked you? Oh, he has been. Uh, he, he's truly a mensch, and he has helped my son get a job. He has, yeah, uh, he has remembered that. Beyond my expectation of people, um, I think it's I think it's important. Uh, that's why I wanted to reach back out to you. I mean, Mark, your roommate in college, who helped you get the job at yeah. Apple, which you give a lot of credit to. There, there are these people in our lives that they may or may not know the profound impact that they've had. That's what I strive to do with my yeah. team members here. It's what I strive to do with the marketing community. It's why I wrote the recipe book. Like I wanted to say, here, if I can help someone. I remember a guy who said, hey, I read your book and and I read it cover to cover and I had all the lingo down and I got this great job and I want to reach out and thank you for it. Um, and that really, it makes it all worthwhile when you can have that impact. By the way, uh-huh. you make the Macintosh way free now yes. as a downloadable PDF. Yes. I made my book free as well years ago. And I've always wondered if it um, reduces the perceived value of the book by us making it free. Because I'm I'm a fan of my book. Like I yeah. think it's a great resource for everyone in marketing technology that should read it. What do you think? Well, you know, I wrote the Macintosh way in 1987. So, you know, it, it, th- 33 years ago, uh, I guess... 
Napoleon Hill has Think and Grow Rich, and you know Dale Carnegie has uh, How to Win Friends and Influence People. But I mean, you know, why not put it out there? What the hell? Um, That's a good move. And, and you know, when people like you mention it, uh, it's it's just a Google search away from anybody getting it, and maybe it'll make their lives better, and then. Maybe they'll listen to my podcast in gratitude. I mean, who knows? Maybe. I, I, will, I will link to it in the show notes so people okay. can find it because I think anyone listening on the podcast, if you are in marketing or sales, which is like 99% of you, <laughs> read at least the chapter on giving a demo and, and maybe even tune into Guy's podcast, Remarkable People, well, and find the episode where he talks about giving a demo because you you use the the your 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 recipe book, which is don't have a demo that lasts lasts longer than twenty minutes, and it drives me insane, guy. When these martech <laughs> companies will like show PowerPoint for a half hour and then eventually get to the demo, and the pacing of it is so slow, I'm like, show me the product. Yeah. Show me the product. <laughs> well, uh, my answer to that is. You know, there are two kinds of airplanes. One is a 787 or a 777 or a 47 or a 380 and another is an F-18. So an F-18 takes off and either falls into the ocean or doesn't, and it's got 150 meters to do, to do it. An A-380 or a 777 has two miles, and guess which airplane you should be in a presentation. So, uh... The 18. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I've I've learned from one of the wisest demoers. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it's the F eighteen. One of my favorite planes, by the way. Um, let's talk about Canva. How did you guys connect? Well, oh, I, I I won't do eight minutes on it, but I will tell you. Yeah. I was watching. Um, I can't remember her name. It's 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 uh, vlog like a boss, and she was talking about how to vlog, and yeah. she introduced on her vlog different tools that she uses, yeah. and she showed Canva, and I'm like. I don't want to say it's like Photoshop for mere mortals because that's that's belittling Photoshop and overselling Canva. But it, it is a okay, maybe it is. Let's let's hear. But I was like, wow, that's a great tool. And I have to tell you, all my LinkedIn posts that have had the most traffic, the most engagement have come from images that I've created in Canva. Not the video trailers of the podcast or other videos, but the images that I've created in Canva. Coincidence, content, I don't know, but there you go. We'll take uh, credit. Yeah. <laughs> so for those of you who don't know, so basically Canva is an online graphics design tool. And I think the the value proposition of Canva is that there are a finite number, though it's a high number, of typical design types. This would be a LinkedIn graphic, Twitter graphic, post, uh, Facebook posts, uh, Instagram presentations, business cards, infographics. There's, there's several hundred design types. So we have created templates for every design type and hundreds of templates for each design type. So if you come to Canva and you say, okay, I want to make a resume, what you know, what has Canva already done in these templates? You'll find hundreds of them. And contrast that to Photoshop, when you boot Photoshop, you know, after it takes a few minutes to load, then you're presented with a big blank window with dozens of icons that are seemingly meaningless around them. So you boot Photoshop, you get a blank canvas with dozens of icons that you have no idea what it means. And so this is a completely different 
orientation. So this is not for the professional graphic designer who wants to rent Adobe software and dedicate his or her life to learning it. This is for, you know, the marketing person who now needs a flyer or the parent who needs something for a PTA meeting or a business card um, or someone who needs, may, needs to make LinkedIn graphics. And before you could have struggled, you could have submitted a request to your design t- department and hope that they would someday create something for you or you could put out an RFP and try to find a freelancer um, now you just build it um, yeah it, it is democratized uh, it has democratized design no question it it it, it has for sure um, if any of you saw the happy 4th of July post that I did on LinkedIn that image was created or that design was created in Canva to guys point the image and the typography and the layout was not created by me. It was a template suggestion. Um, it's super expensive, too, by the way, if, if you consider free <laughs> expensive. It's, it's a free platform. It's canva.com. There is, there is, I love the subscriber model that they have moved to because I used to like to add images to the graphics that I was using, Guy, and then I would pay like a buck here and a buck here and a buck here. Yeah. And so the, the kind of all-you-can-eat subscriber model, which is still very inexpensive. Um, we do all, so we're, we've been working on a YouTube channel. Uh, actually, shout out to the YouTube channel. If you guys haven't checked out DemandGen TV, take a pit stop, go to YouTube, search for DemandGen, and the thumbnails, all those thumbnails are created in Canva that we use on our YouTube channel. So social media posts, thumbnails, and as you said, you want to create an infographic, an org chart, anything, you guys have templates. How did you meet up? And I'd love to hear, I'd love for you to share the the, the story a, of your founder, because I think that's a very special story yeah, in and of so, itself. It's a great story. Well, first of all, the f- story of our founders, co-founders, where they were uh, in Perth, in Australia, uh, working at the uni, and uh, the, the CEO was teaching other students how to use Adobe products and just figured out it's too hard, too expensive, too everything. And so, as the genesis of many tech companies are, you know, the thinking was, there must be a better way. And it took a few years, but you know that's how we got to Canva. Um, they found me because the social media person who helps me was using Canva for my tweets, and they noticed that my tweets had Canva graphics, and so they reached out to me and said, "Oh, you know, we see you that you're using uh, uh, Canva, and you know." Would you like to have any kind of discussion or get together or whatever? And you know, one thing led to another, and next thing you know, I'm chief evangelist of Canva. And Canva recently closed the a latest round of financing, and the post money valuation was six billion dollars. And we have about thirty million monthly active users. We literally make millions of graphics every day. Millions of graphics every day. It is one of those tools that you know, I discovered through YouTube, and I know a bunch of people have discovered through the podcast, and you will be grateful. Probably of all the podcasts I've listened to, if you create visuals, and who doesn't? Um, it, it's kind of, it takes me back to the Macintosh, right? When I bought the Mac and I entered college, the things that I was doing with it then, uh, guy, was I was making money with it, besides, you know, really interested into it. I was designing stationery and business cards and doing graphic design work. Yep. Uh, for companies in the area and and for fraternities and sororities, uh, I probably added way too many fonts, by the way, to every design because I didn't I didn't have 
<laughs> background in topography. But I, you know, as you as you've also often said, like you know uh, that that era created the word desktop as an adjective, right? Desktop publishing, and we could we could make stuff on a Macintosh, and we could do that. It was it was it was great. But Canva, unless you have a design aesthetic, how do you make a well laid out infographic or? Yeah you know, a good social media post that has the right typography and the right image. So for you guys, as you said, to democratize design is pretty cool. I did get beat up recently by my head of marketing because I yeah. I created a podcast post for episode 167. Yeah. And she was like, you're, you're off brand on that. You're not using the right font. So <laughs> the only time I've ever been in trouble for using Canva. Well, we have you a can change. For that. You do. You do. I, I learned it the hard way. Well, you can set well this, which this. solution are you talking about? <laughs> oh, I don't know. What's oh, your, my solution well, is creating the style guides. Uh, yeah, well, the yeah, but we can go further than that. So not every level of service at Canva is free. Otherwise, we you know, wouldn't exist, but there's a, a, an enterprise level where you can control the brand. So you could say, let's say, let's take a bigger example. Let's say you're a real estate brokerage firm and you have all these brokers all over. They're getting new listings. They're, you know, they're building flyers and stuff for the new listings. So you could say, okay, so we're using this template. We're using this font. We're using this color palette and you have to use that. And you can restrict people to what they can do within the guidelines of your style book. And so that's what you need. <laughs> that, that is exactly what I need. What she really said was, why don't you leave the graphic? Yeah, well, that, that, but, that'll also yeah. work. It's also, like, I'm sure you got other stuff to do. But I love creating stuff. I mean, whether it's making a podcast or creating a, a visual. And yeah. I'm just a visual person. I love it. <laughs> Although, you know, saying that we should just leave the graphics to her is kind of the antithesis of the yeah. Canva philosophy, no, right? Exactly. It's, be, it's like saying, going back you know, to 1984, it's like saying, well, leave the computing to MIS. Well, that's yeah. the whole point of Macintosh is everybody can use a computer. Well, uh, Canva, I already on the on the path to success, great success. I'm surprised how many people don't know about it because I do tell people all about it all the time. And I, and I think I mentioned to you when we were connecting on LinkedIn that I'm going to do a, some episodes on demand gen TV using Canva because I just don't want to. I mean, I consider it a Martech tool because it's a it's a tool for marketing and it's it's certainly technology. It's really cool that you don't have to download anything; you can just do it all all web uh, if you want. Although you guys made a a small downloadable app recently, which is just I think a a, a fast track to the the web interface. Um, let's talk about what I really wanted to make sure that we hit on mm -hmm. is this role of the evangelist yes because it's not a it's not a role a lot of companies have it was a game changer for Apple you're way too humble in terms of that you know not giving yourself you gave yourself a think of 15 on a, on a hundred right <laughs> if there was no software for the Mac then the Mac would have died and right. only a few people who are really into it, uh, and you guys had to do, you know, your own paint program and other stuff. In fact, you started ACS database company because you wanted to make sure there was a great database and a great software company. So I, I don't see chief evangelist or evangelist uh, as a as a, a role at a lot of companies. And maybe I'm wrong there, but I don't see it. I know Sangram Bajre, who a lot of people know in this community, is an evangelist at Terminus. And that's his role these days. He started as a co-founder and then went into the chief marketing officer. But he stepped aside in that role and just focuses on evangelists. He's the only one I know guy that actually is an evangelist and spends all his time creating 
community and building content around it besides you. And, and that relationship goes back 25 years. <laughs> Is there anyone else out there besides you? And, and should companies be well, doing this? Uh the question is partially resolved with semantics, which is there may be people who don't have the title evangelist, but they may be evangelistic, not evangelical. Okay, evangelistic. Yeah, there's a, there is a difference. difference there. So, you know, for example, take an extreme. Is Richard Branson chief evangelist of Virgin? Absolutely. But does his business card say chief evangelist? It says, you know, CEO or founder or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. So evangelism is about bringing the good news. It comes from a Greek word meaning bringing the good news. And so you don't have to have the actual word evangelism. It's the function that you believe that whether it's Canva or Macintosh, that you are bringing the good news that Macintosh made people able to use a computer they could not have used before. Canva has enabled people to create graphics that they could not have done before. So it's good news. And the difference between evangelism and most form of sales is that evangelism has the other person's best interests at heart in addition to your own self-interest. So when I tell you to use Canva – or I tell you to, use Mac, to use Macintosh or to listen to my podcast, don't get me wrong. All three are good for me. Well, Macintosh doesn't matter for me anymore. I got like three no more. stock. But yeah. <laughs> but the, the point is that it's also, I truly do believe it's good for you. That me telling you to use Canva is going to help you become a better communicator. And th that's the difference between evangelism and sales. That, that rang true going back to my memories of you out there building a developer community and, and what it meant to them. And I always liked, even in the recent years, you've probably seen like at the, at the Apple introductions and worldwide developer conference, they would hold up symbolizations of how big the checks that they wrote to people that have made, you know, apps for uh, the iPhone. And, you know, how much money is going out into the community and people making. It's interesting how much two things have changed, right? If back then we had to evangelize or you had to evangelize getting people to develop for a platform today with YouTube and everything else, there are people who make an entire living. Justine's a good example of someone of, of creating content or creating things for products that come out. They immediately jump on it. They want to be the early adopter, like this new device comes out. They want to be the person who showcases it first on YouTube and does an unboxing or does a how-to. And people have really made a tremendous living of being, you know, attaching themselves to an early innovation that, that comes out. I, I think that's a big change from when I grew up well, and everybody was skeptical. I, I think it's a huge change. And from a marketing perspective, the way I think you should look at it is that uh, – there truly used to be this kind of product adoption curve, right, where the true pioneer and innovator got it first, and then they told their early adopters, and the early adopters told the middle adopters, and the middle adopters told the late adopters, and, and then finally everybody's using the thing, right? But now, and, and that pioneer, that influencer, that you know, lead person, that always used to be affiliated with a large organization such as the Wall Street Journal. And so back in the day, every Thursday, there was the 
tech edition, you know, of the Wall Street Journal. Yeah, with Walt. Walsberg, yeah. right? And Walt yeah. Walsberg would say, I love Lotus 1, 2, 3. I like WordPerfect. I don't like, you know, whatever. And he could make or break a company. And now I don't think it works like that. I think it's because of social media and, you know, an army of unboxers like I Justine. Now, even honestly, within the unboxing community, there's I Justine, there's Marcus Brownlee, there's Casey Neistat. So the, there are heavyweights in that too. But it's not like I Justine works for the Wall Street Journal or the New York Times or the Washington Post or CNET or Verge or, you know, TechCrunch. I Justine is I Justine. Marcus Brownlee is Marcus Brownlee. And this has enormous ramifications. If someone said to me, okay, you, you have a choice. Either Marcus Brownlee could talk about your podcast or the Wall Street Journal could talk about your podcast. Guess who I would pick all day long? Yeah, absolutely. Marcus is the best. Do you, you, when you said, you talked about Elon Musk, Richard Branson, I don't know if you talked about Elon Musk. I thought Elon Musk too, as 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 a chief evangelist. Yeah. Although I'm not sure with his endorsement of of Kanye for full endorsement <laughs> for Kanye president. Oh my god! I may have just found the first time I've disagreed with Elon Musk's uh, viewpoint. Well, I, but, uh, there's an important life lesson there, which is, you know, just because someone is very good at something, you should not ascribe sort of a total halo effect, right? So Elon Musk may be very good at rocket ships and electric cars and everything that doesn't mean he knows how to pick a political leader um and you know ben carson may be very good at surgery that doesn't mean that he'd be a good cabinet member um and i i think it also transfers like you know so you believe because someone is a hollywood actress and she says that mmr created autism in my child so all of a sudden, you're taking a Hollywood actress and saying, okay, so now I'm going to make medical decisions based on the Hollywood actress or actor, quite frankly. Yeah. So yeah. Um, the halo effect is a dangerous thing. <laughs> and, a, and a real thing. The, um, the role. So you have a chief evangelist role. And I think as we're saying, like a company needs to have one, whether it's someone who has the title and the role yeah. uh, to do it, which I, which I agree with. And that person needs to have a certain persona. Uh, as you said, they need to care more about the audience than themselves. They need to care more about the audience and the product that they're showing. They need to be entertaining uh, and not just, not just informative. Should people should companies, as part of their marketing strategy, in many ways they're an influencer, right? But they're within the company. Should should this should companies formulate this role, create the role, and have someone that's responsible for it? If they if they don't, like Canva has brought you on as their yes. chief evangelist, right? Um, and all because you were using their product. It was a conscious, intentional effort to oh, do yeah. so. Uh, I I okay again. Now let's not get caught in semantics. Okay, so. I don't think it's absolutely necessary that you have a quote-unquote evangelist. I just think it's important that your company be evangelistic. And so now the next question is, well, what separates an evangelistic company from a non-evangelistic company? And the answer to that is within a metaphor called Guy's Golden Touch. And Guy's Golden Touch is not that whatever I touch turns to gold. Guy's golden touch is that whatever is gold, guy touches. So what I'm trying to say to you is that the key to evangelism 
is that you have good shit. Because it is very hard to evangelize crap. So, it, it, that is the key. And I, I would almost make the case that if you have something that's great, Macintosh, Canva, that you almost cannot stop getting evangelists, whether they're internal or external. So the key for all of this is make something great and the rest is easy. That's true. I mean, again, I can't remember her name, the blog like a boss gal. I'll look it up. But, you know, she didn't have to make that video and show behind the scenes the tools she used for graphics, but she was a very... And I mean, she was passionate about the the platform. So when you say make something great, it's because if you make something great or deliver a great service, people will talk about it. You've always been a great proponent of Nordstrom from a customer service yes. perspective, right? Yeah. You yeah. only talked about it because they actually deliver great service. You wouldn't have evangelized them yeah. as a consumer if it was actually I, not way above the standard. And I, I'm not, you know, I was never paid by Nordstrom. No. Um, now, some of these influencers are paid, right? And so, yep. you know, people get paid to do unboxings. Uh, but My daughter does. Really? What? what, what well, is- she, get, she gets free product. Yeah. I don't know if she's ever gotten paid, but she gets so much stuff sent to her to show it off on social media, on Instagram or YouTube. Uh, mostly pop culture, everything from gaming chairs to geekware merchandise to how many followers or subscribers or whatever does she have i think on instagram like 60,000 wow. something like that she's a micro influencer she's she's not millions but uh, but yeah she gets yeah, a lot of yeah. she, oh yeah we have a po box and so i would say like two thirds of the stuff that comes to the po box is for her that uh, i have to tell her like hey i'm shipping you a bunch of stuff so i have to ship her stuff from our po box cuz she doesn't live with us <laughs> how old is she She's 25. Oh, my God. That's great. Uh, you know, it's interesting. But most people would consider me an influencer influencer, right? So For sure. If you add up all my numbers, it's, I don't know, seven, eight, nine million, whatever. I swear half of them are not active and the other half are Russian bots. But that's not <laughs> that fast. So you would consider me a, you know, quote, unquote, I mean, I'm not Kim Kardashian, but I'm, I'm not, you know, someone with five followers on LinkedIn. But I will tell you, I mean, I think people think that if an influencer says, buy this or I love this, that magically sales just explode. And boy, I tell you, that's not my experience because I tell people to buy my book 15 times. And I wish I could tell you, I tell 10 million people to buy my book and a million go out and do it. It's just not happening. I mean, that it doesn't work like that. And so I, I'm giving you this whole diatribe because Maybe it's you're different when you're promoting someone else's stuff than your own stuff followers who truly do worship the ground she walks on she may be more effective than someone with six million followers who you know don't really give a damn i mean so i don't it's it's not as simple as how many followers do you have now having said that when companies approach me i am not about to burst their bubble and tell them listen you know i'm not nearly as effective as you think but um, just between you and me and whoever's listening to this podcast, <laughs> uh, influencers are not all they're cracked up to be, at least <laughs> in my experience. That's an interesting, interesting perspective. I want to ask you a question as, as we wrap up yep. into uh, the future. Um, 
when when you and I were early in our marketing careers, the channels of the channels of communication we had were were different. It was one of the reasons that we did so many demos is that was the only way to show people technology. There wasn't the internet, there wasn't YouTube. Like if somebody wanted to see a product that Walt talked about in the Wall Street Journal, they had to go someplace to take a look at it and shows like well, Comdex and others were, were it. And the leading, um, the leading edge was a fax machine, right? Like you're really yeah. cool if you had a fax machine. I, and a pager. I had a pager when I was at Microsoft. It was, <laughs> oh, it's cutting edge shit and a, and a Motorola phone that was as big as the lunchbox. In, in oh, my God. It, it was a brick, literally a brick. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's huge. It's huge. So today we have, um, we have the ability to market products, build products, deliver products, uh, support products, all of it online. And yep. in this, and in 2020, n- virtually none of us are even going to offices yep. to work. So fast forward 2021 and beyond, think about companies like Canva that were born on the web, uh, deliver on the web, market on the web, take orders on the web. I, I don't even know if there's a sales team at Canva. My question is this guy. The world has changed. Technology has changed and changed the world. For some, for a guy who wrote the art of the start, would you ever do a company that couldn't be completely one hundred percent digital? I'm talking about sales, marketing, product, yeah. everything. Well, I, I don't know about a hundred percent. A hundred percent is a high bar, but you know, I mean. Uh, do, do you do you want to be uh, Brooks Brothers right now, where you have sixty stores, you know, and that's how you're selling? Or you know, would you rather be Brooks Brothers, or would you rather be, well, at an extreme Amazon? But I mean, even you know, I don't know, whatever attire company where you like, you know, take a picture of yourself and it figures out what your measurements are from the picture and then builds you custom jeans and all that, right? Yeah, and no physical presence, all that. I, I think there are many tragic parts of the pandemic, but it certainly will force the adoption of technology. Yeah. That we're, st- we're seeing our clients go through digital transformation on yeah. an accelerated pace. They have to. Yeah. yeah, well, what choice do you have? Because it's, it's not like we're all going to fly to Las Vegas for a conference. No, no, not anytime no. soon. Nope. Well, Guy, thanks for reconnecting. Thanks again for, for all the uh, the early recipes of success in, in my career, which I, I followed thanks to you. Uh, congratulations with, with landing at, at Canva and being part of their team. It's a great platform. Like I said, you, you have to hook me up with someone who gives the best Canva demo so that I can have them on Demand Gen TV and show the product so people can check it out. But until then, you guys want to go to canva.com. This is not a sponsored podcast. I'm just a big fan of Guy and of Canva. So good to, and remarkable good to reconnect. People. Go to remarkable people. That's, I, 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 can I tell you something, David? Yes. Honestly, as I look back on my career, evangelizing Macintosh, evangelizing Canva, you know, multiple startups and all that. I think all things considered, as far as making the world a better place, denting the universe, my best work is this podcast. Oh, man. Seriously, because, you know, I I pull the wisdom and learning out of people. Well, it's not that it's that hard, but, you know, from Jane Goodall, Margaret Atwood, Steve Wozniak, Steven Pinker, Bob Cialdini, David Ocker, Roy Yamaguchi. I mean – this is, I think, there's an irony I'm coming to, but I think it's the best work I've ever done, my podcast. 
it is also the least appreciated, which is kind of ironic because it's very hard to, you know, break into the top tier of podcasts. It it is. I'm glad you're doing it. I think yeah. you're still in the early stages of it. You're you're pulling in some amazing guests and and giving some great inspiration. It, I enjoyed the episodes that I listened to. It it you know I only found it through our reconnection and binged a bunch of episodes that, like you said, you've got some great people on there with some incredible uh, advice and stories. So if you guys are clearly into podcasting, check search for Remarkable. My last question for you. Who is the person on the thumbnail that's with you? Oh, you mean the the cover of the podcast? Yeah. Oh my god, yeah. that, that's bad marketing on my. That is Jane Goodall acting like she's looking for lice. I did not know that. Yes. I, did, I, I don't know if that's covered someplace, but I didn't realize that was oh, Jane. Maybe I should explain. I don't know that. if that was a grandma or a relative. Oh, that is Jane or- Goodall. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, There's 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 a little fun Easter egg factoid uh (laughs) of the Remarkable People's podcast. Cool. All right, go check that out, you guys, guy. Thanks uh for everything. I look forward to connecting with the Canva team and doing a little show and tell on Demand Gen TV. And hey, for all of you tuning in, I don't know what happened over the last couple of weeks, but you guys spiked like crazy and a lot of people tuning in. Maybe that was due to the Fourth of July weekend, and you guys are catching up on some episodes, but good to have so many of you listening in. And as I said, if you haven't checked out and you're a visual learner, go to Demand Gen TV on YouTube and check that out. Let me know what you think. Click that subscribe button and smash the like one if you are liking and learning something. Guy, all the best to you. Take care. Take care. Thank you. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Demand Gen Radio, bringing you the top industry experts, thought leaders, authors, marketing technology firms, and senior marketing leaders from around the world to teach you the methods and technologies for high-performance marketing. 